Scott Douglas, the uh, FBI criminal profiler and uh, the inspiration for the hit uh, Netflix series Mindhunter. And if you haven't seen Mindhunter yet, what are you doing with your life? Such a loser. Um, he has a book out called The Killer Across the Table. And it's uh, unlocking the secrets of serial killers and predators with the FBI's original Mindhunter, John Douglas. And... Um, Right. And uh, John, thank you so much for coming on Chewing the Fat, first of all. It's an honor to have you here. Well, thank you. So you, uh, as a a profiler, uh, years ago started uh, thinking to yourself, man, these guys might have something in common. What was the first thing that clicked in your head that brought that to your attention? Because you were the first to think of something like that. Well, when I came back to the FBI Academy, I was only uh, 32 years old and kind of like the character portraying me in the show. And I was right. I was in the military, I had four years there, and I had uh, seven years in the field as an agent, and a hostage negotiator, and a SWAT team member, and a, a couple of graduates. So you hadn't degrees, done much. I, you hadn't done much before you came back to the FBI. Kind of high, high achiever, but so I got back to Quantico. <laughs> the uh, what they were they were teaching. They were teaching a lot of war war stories about. Offenders, for example, like Charles Manson. They'd be talking about Charles Manson, and all of a sudden, the hand shoots up in the audience and say, hey, "Wait a minute, I, I, I worked that case. You got your facts wrong." So, the, the, right. the concept was to, while doing what we call road schools, you'd be out for two weeks in a row. Well, if we're in California, let's let's go into San Quentin. Let's let's see if uh, Manson would uh, talk to us. So, really, initially, I did it for a survival to be just a, a good instructor, being so young right. uh, back at the FBI Academy. But then, uh, as we did a couple of more, then, um, uh, by coincidence, uh, Dr. Ann Burgess from Boston College, who in the series is playing, uh, playing Wendy, right. she was a, she's basically a, a numbers cruncher, but a, and does, air, uh, does instruction in the area of uh, forensic, forensic nursing. And she was the one who told us, to, you know, to, let's come up with a, uh, an instrument, a, a protocol. What you're doing is very similar to a heart attack research study that we just completed where we, we, we have 20,000 men and we're able to predict uh, what are the indicators what causes uh, it? Right, that will right, right. We'll have a heart attack. So we did the same. Uh, she said, let's do the same thing. And then that's when we come up with the instrument and then you start doing the interviews. And you start, you start seeing some patterns and the, the theory and or what i always say it's why plus how equals who when it's an on-sub case unknown subject case you're trying to determine the who now in the case of incarcerated subjects we know we we know who they are and let's let's really get into the the, the hows and the whys of the behavior why this particular you know victim uh, why they did the things that they did and is there any similarities in in their background or how about pre-offense behavior what happened right prior to the crime and post-defense behavior, what'd you do, where'd you go? So you start, right. you start seeing patterns, uh, and then you start applying it to cases that were uh, being submitted to me at Quantico. So as, you, as you're coming and talking to these guys, you know, obviously the killer across the table, uh, when did you realize that uh, what these guys had in common? When did you realize that, holy cow, I mean, this really is something? Well, mostly, most of them, oh, without exception, they found uh, dis- we found uh, dysfunction in the families that they they came 
they came from, their abuse uh, uh, of some type, sexual, physical uh, type of uh, abuse, um, uh, families that were broken, you know, you know broken right. up, and and uh, then came. We started seeing some indicators on the part of them, where we call it the, the homicidal triangle. We have enuresis bedwetting because of emotional problems that the child is being abused that may show up in a teacher who has the student you also see fire setting uh, showing up but the big one was animal cruelty that showed up uh, in early childhood in fact just a year ago the FBI is now tracking uh, animal cruelty uh, and is uh, having police fill out forms that specifically addresses animal cruelty but they realize hey maybe you you know, Douglas and Wrestler back in the 70s and 80s, they, had, uh, they knew something about the... I feel like that uh, would have already been going on, though, for some you reason. You would have thought. Yeah. You, you would have thought that. I mean, it's just... Um, no, we over the years, I've done so much in... in uh, in, in the area of uh, not just criminal profiling and and but coming in contact with forensic psychologists and correctional personnel, and it just surprises me. You would think that from the research that we did and and uh, what we're my saying, what I've always said is to understand the artist, you must look at the crime. So how can you, Mr. Probation Officer or Mrs. Parole Officer, or you who's making decisions regarding regarding whether they should stay in prison or the treatment, if you don't even look at the crime the crime's reflection of the offender and you must look right. at the crime and, and hopefully if you don't understand what it how to interpret it, you'll have somebody interpret it uh, for you uh, and that should have an indication of whether or not this person should receive treatment or what kind of treatment or should we let this person you know out of prison after he or she serves you know serves uh, their their sentence the term, yes. and uh, but they still don't do it they don't they don't make they don't a lot of times they get angry at me and they'll say we don't uh, uh, we don't want to see that material. It'll prejudice uh, 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 us if we see but what the should. subject did to a victim, whether rape, murder, or whatever. And I said, well, then you don't have no business making those decisions. Right. Uh, it's supposed to make a difference. So well, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, it's, no, it should. And it, it's just... Uh, uh, yeah, that's why when I, as I developed the program at, at Quantico, I got away from the psychiatric side and started uh, uh, developed what we have is the crime classification manual uh, that I did. It was part of a doctorate, and, and it's just it throws out terms like psychopath and schizophrenia. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to police officers. And plus, when you interview these guys in prison, they'll have multiple diagnoses. And what, what does it tell you? So went more to descriptors of the crime, that this is a, a disorganized crime scene. What do you mean by that? That means that if the person who perpetrated this crime is sloppy, careless, probably indicative of youthful offender, could be under the influence of alcohol or, or drugs, uh, you know, at the time, or have some mental, uh, you know, mental uh, disability, versus organized, organized in the crime, not organized crime in the mafia, but organized right. no, crime meaning yeah. precipit- uh, you have this this planning involved in the case. The subject goes out of his way uh, not to leave much uh, evidence. The crime is a little, maybe a little bit more sophisticated. And so you start, you know, we start getting away, uh, you know, from the psych, the psych terms. But even to this day, I mean, you still have people, they don't want to 
look or the, oh, I can't look at that. It'll give me nightmares. I'll have nightmares. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. you have no business of making these decisions regarding a convicted Amazing. felons. So we're talking to John Douglas, uh, author of The Killer Across the Table, which uh, is available uh, Tuesday, May 7th, but you can pre-order it uh, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Um, John, when you first started, uh, the information superhighway was uh, not even a highway. It was barely, it might not even have been a paved road. It was probably a dirt <laughs> road so but when i watch when you watch uh uh your show mind hunter or you watch uh the bundy episodes you see how f- much information didn't get passed from police department to police department Correct. which helped the criminal so much um how with the yeah. with with what we have today as far as information and, and really we're just now you said keeping track of of uh, animal cruelty yeah. cases, which is really surprising. Yeah. But with the with the information superhighway that we have today, how's that helped? Well, or has it? It has. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, 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 the problem we have in this country uh, is we have over seventeen thousand different law enforcement agencies, and uh, and they're all there's not really a standard of training, you know, for for them. And, and I really got to see this since I've left the bureau, and I've done cases to help free people from being uh, wrongfully convicted and giving false uh, confessions. So they, we tried to develop in the early '80s a program called VICAP, Violent criminal apprehension program and where police will submit information per- pertaining to their homicides it goes back to Quantico we've run it through the computer system to see if there are other cases uh, similar that's going on around the country the problem is they have ICAP today but even today since the early 80s but it's not a success and the reason it's not a success is that unless you make the program mandatory that the police you must submit uh, these cases to the FBI or you're going to you're going to cut off funding or do something like that. Uh, it, so it's a voluntary program. They don't want it like, oh, this is more paperwork for us to do. So the information highway, it's there. I mean, it's there, but it's not being, uh, it's not being used. Uh, and and I, I mean, I've been involved in cases on a local level where it's not even so much the information highway. It's just the interaction between departments. And you, wow. you, know, you would think that, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know we're, we're competing or we're against each yeah. other. Yeah, we're, we're, there's a tug of war to who, which lab is going to, to handle the forensic you know, evidence. And uh, so it's, it, could, it could be much better. I'm just surprised after all these years that we have not, uh, you know, they have, we yeah. train the Canadians, uh, and they call it VICLASS, Violent Crime Classification System, that's successful, but it makes it a little easier for them because they have you know, fewer t- uh, territories, and so it's easy for them to, to, uh, you know, to tie in the fewer uh, police agencies to tie it all together. But in this country, it's a voluntary program, and, and therefore it does no good. It's no good if, say, LAPD participates it. and Orange County uh, doesn't, or LSO doesn't participate. And it just seems like it would work to everyone's advantage. I know that you know while they're making it mandatory is, is another argument, but it just seemed that it would work yeah. to everyone's advantage to do it. Yeah, Jeff, uh, and then you could, uh, the other thing, I mean, we have a very good handle on in the area of rape, rape classification, uh, and we've done a lot of research, we've interviewed men who've raped five or more women, and we know they're, uh, that if, if we computerize this, uh, we computerize the program, sharing information, we could be able to, to tie in those cases, and what makes yeah. it easier is because you have a surviving victim, so when you do a, a behaviorally um, uh, uh, oriented type of interview with the victim, you're looking for three areas. Areas, and that is the, the verbal assault, 
assault, the sexual, and the physical assault. And, uh, for example, verbal from the initial confrontation, if during the sex act, if there was verbal uh, going on maybe with the subject, right. and then how he left the victim, but what did he say to the victim? Did he threaten her or just we walk out the door? And the same thing with sexual, what, what all did he do, first, second, third, if there is a first, second, third, uh, and then... And then I mean, there's the, the process. Uh, the physical, how much yeah. force is used. So we, if we get that information and you have a computer system, computerized system and police were participating, we could, you know, we can, uh, you know, link cases together, you know, relatively, you know, easy, you know, but it's just, just not being uh, employed. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, John Douglas, uh, author of The Killer Across the Table, uh, in the book, you uh, decided on uh, four big cases, and I know that, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, the why plus the how equals the who. Yeah. Uh, how did you decide what you were going to do for the book, or what you were going to use? Well, these these four were, were kind of ones I've even done uh, after uh, after I got out of the bureau, and I still you know, do interviews. And uh, Donald Harvey, he killed. You know, we don't you know exact number, but seventy plus uh, patients uh, when wow. he was like an orderly yeah. in hospitals. I was involved when, when I was still in the bureau when uh, when uh, that case came in, and I helped the the agents on the interrogation techniques to use. So that one I was, was involved with. Todd Colehep from South Carolina was a new one, and I did a show. It's going to air at the end of the summer for investigative discovery on Todd Colehep. Very interesting case. 15 years old, he rapes a 14-year-old girl. Typical background, dysfunction, neglected, abandoned, and smart. A smart guy. But at 15, he rapes a 14-year-old girl, and he spends 15 years in prison, gets out, and comes back to South Carolina where he... He will kill four people in a motorcycle shop, and then he, he kills uh, three others. And what was really interesting, the one in 2016 uh, that got him caught was he kept a woman in a container uh, in South Carolina uh, for a couple of months. And he, he wishes he would have killed her when I did the, the interview because uh, he doesn't like being incarcerated. And so, but when he got out of prison, he, he got two college degrees. He got a uh, real estate license, then a broker's license, then he owned a real estate state company. He also had a private pilot's license. Real smart guy. He's asking me, you know, like, why do I do this? And and, why did I do these crimes? I said, you know, I said, it's predictable. It's kind of predictable. I don't forgive you. You made the choice. You made bad choices. But but your background, man, I mean, look look at you're abandoned uh, by by your mother. Your mother's having affairs with other men. You see that you're abused by your grandfather. You try to make it back to Arizona where where your dad is and, and, and and uh, he really doesn't want anything to do with you. And so that night you go out and you you uh, raped a, a girl in, in your neighborhood at 15 years of age. So all they did, they put him on uh, in prison for 15 years. And all you do is you put him on ice, I say. You put him on ice for 15 years and you haven't really changed well, we, what's we, going on. We don't, in, really in have any, we don't really have any rehabilitation uh, No. Plans, and, right? and what I usually say, Jeffy, is that you, you can't rehabilitate uh, those who are not hub habilitated to begin with. So they really, what are you going to try to bring them back to? I mean, right from early childhood, uh, and, and this may be, this is not for all offenders. I'm talking about predatory you know, type of offenders. It's, uh, there's, there's nothing you can do for them. Oh, sure, you'll say, oh, he's a model prisoner. Well, yeah, he should be a, a right, model prisoner. Yeah, I mean, what do you want? I mean, he's got three three square meals and a cot, and he gets to work out in the gym and get muscles. And you know, So, I mean, it's just, uh, he should be a model prisoner and uh, they release these guys and, and you, so, think, you think that a lot of and, and uh, to me uh, and, and maybe you know you found different but to me it would 
seem that uh, someone like this man would almost enjoy the uh, strict rundown of what prison gives him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's in South Carolina now. Now communicating back and forth. I mean, he doesn't like. It's been like a lot of murders inside the prison where he where he is. But he's a big, wow. he's a big tough guy. But but uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't like like that. Okay. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Um, I asked him about being sexually abused in prison. He wouldn't admit to that. I really think he probably was because he was only fifteen when he right. went to a man's uh, a, a men's penitentiary in Arizona. Yeah, so he's he a real interesting guy yeah. and then this guy um you know up in uh, joseph mcgowan in new jersey it was uh i got involved and he he raped and murdered a, a seven-year-old child collecting uh, girl scout cookies and came to his house and he was a school teacher and was over easter uh, easter time and and uh and it was amazing doing the uh, the interview. The probation and parole, I kind of swore me in, kind of like queen for a day. And I went in there, and he knew who I was. And and but I had low lighting, very dark room, very little furniture, and uh, I just talked generally about uh, things. And finally, kind of got to the crime without using you know violent words or, or referring to her as a little girl. And right. and it was amazing. All of a sudden, he kind of. He drifts off, looks off to the side, and, and and he's just in a trance, and he's sweating, and it's freezing in this jail cell that we're in, and he, his pecs and his chest are trembling as he's talking to me, and he says, John, when I heard the knock on the screen door, I knew I was going to kill her. I looked up and I saw at the screen door, and I, I knew I was going to kill her. So then he takes me through this whole thing, this whole thing, and, and I'm, I'm very supportive of him. And I don't talk like, you know, you're not going to get out, because my analysis will determine if he gets out. He served the maximum sentence, 30 years in, in prison, and he, he could get out. And what really was revealing, and, and the parole board was shocked at the information he provided, but I asked him, I said, when you get out, oh. where are you going? And he says, New York. And I said, man, I said, you know, I was raised in, in New York. It's expensive. And he looks to see if the guards are looking at him. And he whispers to me, I got money, John. You got money? Are you, are you making license plates? How do you, how do you get right. money, Joe? And he said, when my mother died, I got life insurance money. When my grandmother died, he was living with his mother, and, and he was 28 years old, school teacher with a master's degree, living with his grandma. She died, got money, then the house was sold, got money. Right. And he says, and I, and I, and I said, Where, where's the money? And he says, I, I put it out of state. Why did you put it out of state? So the victim family can't get any of the money. And how much you got? He says six hundred thousand. I said, Wow, oh, man! I said you'll do, you'll do real great. Uh, you know, New York, man, you'll <laughs> you'll live it up. When you get to New York. Well, the next day, I slam dunk his ass, man. I go, I go before the, the parole board. I, I go to the parole board and I, I take them all through this, and they're looking at me. And I said, How did you get get that? And I said, I got it because because I went in there. Not taking notes. I had no notes. I, I just knew his case. I studied his case backwards and forwards. No tape recorder, unlike the show in the show Mindhunter, right. always taping. No, no. That's, they're paranoid. You're dealing with paranoid individuals. You can't be taking notes and, and taping uh, the interviews. And and uh, right. uh, and I, I just knew knew the case upside and down and, and backwards and forwards. And, and, uh, and I told him how I went about doing it. 
And so they end up giving them a hit. They give them another 30-year hit, which doesn't mean they'll get another 30, but but uh, could get out sooner. Speaking of that, though, you know, the paranoid individuals and, you know, not being able to, you know, not recording and not taking notes. How yeah. how difficult was it to reach a point where you're not thinking you bastard? I don't even oh, want to yeah, talk no, to you. Sometimes what I do sometimes I'll, I'll be looking in the eyes and and I'm looking in the and I'm looking in the eyes and I'm thinking you know and say this guy was like Ed Kemper this big six foot yeah, nine you're right. guy who I interviewed several times and and I'm looking at these, and these are the eyes these are the eyes that that the victims were looking at but it, but the facial expression was I'm thinking it wasn't like this it would be totally totally different this rage and so you have to. Uh, you know, I, I was really good at it. One of the worst I interviewed was a guy on California named Bitteker. His nickname in prison was P- Pliers Bitteker because he would he uh, uh, he, he would torture his victims. Not even and funny, when right? he was incarcerated as a rapist, Pliers. he met another guy named Norris. And while in prison, they fantasized when they got out, they're going to rape teenagers for every year of a teenager's life from 13 to 19. <laughs> and they built a van called a Murder Mac. And then they started going around picking up, uh, picking up victims, and 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 they they would uh, they insulated the the van, uh, windowless van, insulated so no one could hear any screaming or anything inside. And then they tape recorded tape recorded the torturing of the victims and and scripted the victims oh by that they by scripting me they want them to say things almost as they want them to say things like they're enjoying right. uh, being the, uh, being tortured. So I interviewed him and and I, um, it, I'm thinking and it was interesting because I was with a, a woman a female FBI agent and she would ask a question he would never look at her he always looked he always looked at me and and it was just really uh, strange and she was real soft spoken but but uh yeah if he could he would he would tear her head off if he had the opportunity right. so he was one i played that tape i i have the tapes of that and i played the tape for scott glenn when he portrayed my character in silence of the lambs and he he it was against the death penalty until he heard that and he said and he was really emotional and I said, I, John, I, I never knew there were people like this. And I said, Scott, I said, there are people like this, and, and uh, yeah. we're dealing with this all the time. And and uh, to portray, hopefully, you're going to be portraying the unit correctly. And I do this with other actors. Hopefully, they're portraying it because I nearly died at age age uh, 38 on the Green River murder case of viral encephalitis and uh, was in a coma on a hotel room floor for three days. And and I was. When I came out of a coma a week later, paralyzed, uh, I'm okay today. But, but back then, I came home in a wheelchair, and and I was, uh, I was just, uh, okay. I was just. When I went to a psychologist, he said you have post traumatic stress disorder. Plus, if you didn't have this, uh, if this didn't happen, so you would have had a heart attack or something. And uh, I was just drained, just drained. So it's. Uh, it's so, difficult. It's sp- difficult work, and some of the shows on right. television you see today, some are good at portraying our unit. Others are just uh, it's just Hollywood, really Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Eyes. You, don't, you, you don't have to. And I don't expect you to uh, say which ones, but you can if you want. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. 
Well, so, I mean, it's something, you know, like, well, the Criminal Minds is very popular. It's, it's a very yeah. And, and uh, they have my name and my picture on their website, which I never, they, like, they're trying to indicate that I have something to do with the show, or which I did not. But, it, but John, no, we don't go out kicking down doors. We don't, I mean, you're not pulling your gun, really, when you get back to Quantico. Right. Uh, you're not pulling your gun. You're, <laughs> you're, you're coaching police. You're, you're a coach. You're coaching prosecutors. That wouldn't uh, be and, much of a show, though, John. I mean, come on. No, yeah, no. Yeah. So even my show, in the, in the, well, the Mindhunter show, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I'll tell you, Jeffrey, my, my wife's been a school teacher for 47 years, and there's a sex scene in the uh, first or second episode there, and where the, his, this girlfriend is showing him some things yeah. with, you know, sexually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, uh, uh, and my wife says, is that supposed to be me? You know, here she is <laughs> teaching in a small community. <laughs> and so I like, sure as hell is in me. I can tell you that, that much. <laughs> no, that was my girlfriend, honey. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the death penalty, though, uh, John, you know, uh, I, I've been, uh, you know, I'm really a, a proponent of it. Uh, for yeah. you know, I mean, if you've been found guilty and and you've gone through the process, it should happen. But what we're finding we're seeing more and more in today's world where uh, you know, really yes. the great state of Texas that I live in is about the only one that's got a fast track, and all the other states yeah. are trying to put a halt on it. Are you yeah. still a believer in it? I, I am, but they have to have. I, I am. They have to have uh, more when you get to trial, more than say like eyewitness testimony and and the confessions. Uh, like when I was on, uh, I, I did a show just uh, a couple of weeks ago with Amanda Knox from Italy. I helped free her out of nice. Italy, and I helped uh, uh, Damien Eccles of, of the West Memphis uh, Three, and uh, Joe Berlinger uh, moderated it because he did Paradise Lost series uh, about those cases. And, and, and in both those cases, you're having, you're getting, uh, you know, false confessions, the tactics yeah. used. And, and, and I've seen other cases around the country here in Virginia, where I, I am, you have a Norfolk four where four sailors individually confessed to the crime. And then they did DNA. Well, it's not, it's not his DNA. Well, but he Amazing. must've been there. So they, they right. work on this guy and he confesses or gives the name of somebody else. So, um, I, I, I have problems there, but when you're talking about cases where you have the forensic, we have the, you know, the, the DNA or and we have, you know, really good, uh, you know, from witness testimony, you know, and particularly multiple, uh, you know, a series of cases. Now I, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe, you know, I believe in it. Uh, it's just some of the, the, uh, I, I, I usually say I can, it's easier to get a, an innocent person to confess than a real guy to confess a real uh, their subject because an innocent person like Amanda Knox was tag teamed, uh, by 10 interrogators over a 40 hour period of time tag teamed her and uh, even then so she finally you know kind of gives in it gives in uh, to them because they, they start She's thinking enough. This person. well they'll straighten us out when, when my attorney I get my attorney and we'll straighten us out because you know they'll see that you know that I'm innocent well no that's not that, that doesn't happen that way because they have you down there confessing you know to a crime right. or, you know, or agreeing to doing you know whatever so um, it's but yeah, when I see these predatory types, or or, or I see, I, sh I think we should have it too in corrections. Uh, it, the job of a correctional officer is, is it's a tough job, a terrifying job. Yeah, no and, kidding. But if if you kill a corrections, and you're say you're in there for li uh, you got life imprisonment, but you you don't get death, you don't have death. 
who's to stop you from killing a correctional guard or other inmates? Other inmates, yeah. You just need it. You just, you know, for safety, uh, you know, safety, uh, you know, reasons. Uh, but I, I show a lot of empathy during the interviews. But afterwards, you know, people think, did you change, John? Yeah. I said, no, not really. I said, if you need someone to volunteer to pull a switch, you know, I'm here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just finished doing the interview. I was his best buddy. Yeah. Right. We're talking to uh, John Douglas, uh, author of Killer Across the Table, and uh, obviously uh, uh, part of uh, you know Netflix series Mindhunter. Again, if you haven't seen it, um, why? But uh, you should see it. Uh, and his uh, latest book, uh, The Killer Across the Table, available uh, on Tuesday. Uh, May 7th, and you can pre-order it uh, wherever books are sold. So, John, let me ask you, uh, and, and by the way, thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks uh, for having me. Very yeah, fascinating. Thank you. I, would, thank you. I could sit here and talk to you for another hour, <laughs> and, and, and you'll probably tell me I have to go and click the phone. But over, over the years, what is, what is the uh, – just a couple last questions. What, what are the, uh, uh, what's the scariest thing that you learned uh, over the years, up to today, because you know you uh, never know what's going to turn the corner tomorrow. Yeah, the scariest, uh, the scariest thing uh, that made you really. I mean, was there anything about with the event? Well, first of all, the saddest thing is that when you see the backgrounds of some of these people, you know down the line they're going to be perpetrating the crime. If they, if only they were taken out of the environment. If Ed Kemper was taken out of the environment uh, that he was he was in, he never would have turned out to be a so serial you, killer. Okay, okay. So you say that. So are you? Uh, you know, we're talking about. Uh, we talk a lot now about. Uh, you know, as we go into yeah. you know that mi- minority report thought of yeah. uh, you know the pre-crime. Uh, how far do we go with that? Yeah. Oh, I mean. Yeah, you can't really. I mean, I know that's. I I realize. Yeah. I realize it's a yeah. fine line. I got it. Uh, yeah, it's tough. But how far? I mean, do yeah. we do we go down that road? I mean, as far as like intercepting them at a young age. Yeah, t- yeah. I know. It's, it's, see, school teachers will come up to you and, and they say, hey, "John, we." I, I, I see these indicators now, but it's it's sometimes they don't get the support. Then they don't want the administration doesn't want them to get involved. Or the, the teachers themselves don't want to get involved from some of the things that they see. Well, they might so, get involved later down the road and not do yeah, anything. Yeah, that's right. They will get in, 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 <laughs> yeah. uh, involved. But um, you know, it's you know, it's a shame. And and then some of the bigger the bigger schools these these. Kids get get lost in the in the shuffle, and um, you know the teachers just don't they just don't have the time. They got to do their you know their preparation for the classes, grading papers, and they don't they don't want to get involved you know with the student or with the parents of of the student. If the parents are even around or wanting to to help their right. you know their child. So sad. But, that, but uh, the scariest I know I guess the scariest is just is overall is just. They'll, when you do some of his worst crimes, like Dennis Rader, the BTK Strangler, who I interviewed, it's just so nonchalant. It's like, uh, let's go out to lunch. What do you want to eat for lunch? You know, it's just, it's just okay. nothing. Right. There's nothing, you know, nothing there. It doesn't really fit. Yeah, nothing, you know, there. There's no remorse. And, and what's interesting is some of them live kind of so-called normal lives, like Rader was right. married, had yeah. two kids. and, and, and Mr. Churchgoer, Mr. Yeah, everything all about it. Yeah, Scouts. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you, you look past them. And so there's not even a look, uh, you know, look or uh, like, oh, boy, he looks like a killer. Um, yeah, you know, not at all. And Bundy was a pretty, uh, fairly attractive right. guy. Now, in the show right now, it's criticism because of Zach Ephraim. He look, he's too handsome. <laughs> he's too handsome. They're glorifying. And I haven't seen it yet. It's not out oh, yet. But yeah, it, it, 
Oh, the the Ephraim, yeah, the Ephraim yeah. one. But the the Netflix one and the, the yeah. was was pretty good. I thought. Yeah, I, I saw that. that one. Yeah, that was yeah. So uh, Berlinger, yeah, I see where he's been defending about uh, with Zac Ephraim. He's not they're not trying to glorify him and make him. Like but a that's who it was at the time, right? I mean, yeah. Well, it was look, yeah. Cause, I, I, oh, yeah, because I knew people when when he was arrested down in Florida. I had an assistant director come up to me. He said, "Yeah, my wife thinks that she's." Uh, he's innocent, uh, and uh, I said, "I said well, your wife is wrong. He's guilty of sin. He's guilty of sin." I mean, we've and, been glorifying these people for years in this country. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a bad. Well, I am. It is kind of a bad thing. But I mean, well, if you watch the uh, the Netflix uh, show the, yeah. with Bonnie and Clyde, uh, yeah. I mean, which is fascinating. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Yes, if you have yeah, an opportunity yeah. to see it, but how they glorified them. At the yes. end and during the whole process was was almost sickening. Yeah, and they were yeah they weren't exactly Robin Hood, but yeah it was but right. It was, but, uh, but you're right. But I mean, look, Jeffrey. I mean, it's kind of good for me. There there are so many uh, conferences now on crime, crime oh, cons, true. and and I, I was just in one like the one in New York with, uh, and I did one here in D.C. I'm going to London to do one for the first nice. time. They ever they did something like that. There's such interest. What's really interesting when you do those. Um, the the people are just so into the crimes and we're being bombarded through television. But the majority of the office is about ninety. Uh, to me, I always say about ninety percent women. And why and why is that? Because they are the victims of these these uh, you know, crimes. And you know, and why are they so interested? And it's like, to me, it's just like how I was interested. The why plus how equals two. I mean, they want to know why. I mean. Why are they look like us? But how are they different? Or why? Or why are they they different? Uh, you know, you know than uh, than us. So it's just uh, yeah. The why. Uh, it's so so, so strange. When you when you uh, when you first before you got into this and you were you were thought to yourself. Did you ever think to yourself that you were going to do this? I mean, or did you stumble no. on this and realize you know, hey, this is me or. No, I'll tell you how, what happened is because I, I was interested in psychology, industrial psychology at the time. But when I was in Detroit, my first office where we had 800 murders a year back yeah, in was, the 70s. And, and, I was um, born in Saginaw, about 100 miles oh, well, north yeah. of Detroit. Well, that's nice. Had, Saginaw is nice. We had, we had quite a few murders in that town when I was growing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But but I was it was Super Bowl Sunday and we were arresting a couple hundred guys in Detroit, organized crime figures, loan sharks, and mafia family was pretty active there. And I, one of the guys I arrested at the end of the day, and I was young, I was only then I was like twenty six, right. twenty six, and I had this guy I'm arresting in his late. I'm about mid-30s, mid-30s. He looks like a Paul Newman. And I had him in the back seat of the car, handcuffed in the front, and, and another agent's driving the car. We're going to take him to Armory to book him. And, uh, and, and, I, and I, I just like talking about it. I said, well, Frank, why, why are you doing this stuff, man? You, you, we're we're arresting on? you every year or two, or the police. And he says, he looks over the window. It was raining that day. He says, you see those two raindrops over there? Yeah, I, what about them? I bet you the one on the left gets down to the bottom of the glass before the one on the right. And I said, I said okay, uh, let's, let's take a bet. We're not money bet, we're betting. Right. So, he, so he wins. He wins the race. He's dropped. Okay, we got down to the bottom. And he said, you see what I'm talking about? And I said, why? You just beat me in a, in a raindrop race. And he said, no, man. He says, you don't get it, kid. He says, he says we don't need a Super Bowl. All we need are two raindrops. And we are who we are. Either you or the FBI or the police, state police, city police—you're not going to change us. It's in it. It's it's our mind. It's a it's in the way we think. It's and and so you take that, 
And then when you, I got back to Quantico, I went through there to Milwaukee a few years and back to Quantico in 77. I was thinking the same concept, and that was that you know the uh, you know the, like the wise of the behavior, and, and you are what and you are. Getting into the, the let's really study them and see what makes them tick, and then can we really can you really change? Like you asked me a little while ago, can you really change that mindset? And the yeah. answer is not really. I don't know. No, I don't know if you yeah. can. And, and, yeah. and if you can, how early do you get it to yeah. change it? I don't That's know. That's right. Uh, it has to be real early, like elementary school early, or, or I mean, or earlier. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I certainly don't have yes, the answer, but I don't know that. It just seems so. Yeah. It yeah. seems so strange. So, um, are you are you part of the uh, what we should do? I got another million dollar idea for you, John. It's just you and me talking <laughs> here, you know. But I know that they have. Uh, you know, you're talking about they have all these conferences now, but they also have you know companies that send you a monthly catch a killer. You know, hunt hunt a killer uh, monthly. You can oh, set them to that. come to your house. We should start doing that. I mean, it's just. Yeah, they, I saw that. They, they wanted me to be part of that, as a matter of fact. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, see, uh, Criminal Minds is just putting your picture up saying you've got a part of it. So maybe this game thing is doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. John Douglas, uh, FBI criminal profiler. My gosh. Uh, I thank you so much. Oh, I, thanks, I could spend Jeffy. some more yeah, time really with you. I know, you're, I know you're a busy man and, and uh, be on your way, and I could talk to you for so much longer. But I really appreciate your time and, oh, thank you uh, the book is a killer across the table and uh, if i can do anything for you in the future you know except talk to you across the table in a prison right. cell uh, i'd love great. to i'd love to make that happen thank you so much oh, thank you thanks jeffy bye-bye the book killer across the table uh out may 7th tuesday uh or you can pre-order it uh, wherever books are sold but i mean he is a fascinating man and i really appreciate him coming on